Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A Burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to begin our time of study in God's Word today. And today, as we uh, complete the prologue, the prologue is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We're going to complete the prologue today. Um, I'm going to give you a description of Jesus. It's really, though, it's more than a description. It's a name of Jesus, and it's one that you're familiar with, but I doubt very seriously if you've ever, and I maybe shouldn't say this, but ever heard a sermon uh, on this particular name of Jesus. And yet I think you'll see um, how valuable and how important it is. For example, when we talk about the different names of Jesus, uh, you could do a study of the I am statements where Jesus says, uh, I am the, the vine and the branches, I am the bread, uh, I am the, the shepherd, and all of those type things. So we're familiar with Jesus' I am statements and, and things that Jesus is, the, the great shepherd of the sheep, he's the good shepherd, he's also the great shepherd, and uh, I'm the door, uh, and, and things along along those lines. We're also familiar with a study, uh, perhaps in the uh, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, of the different names of God, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, and things along those lines. Today in our study, I want to talk with you about Jesus and one particular name that I think is very important. And, and it's it's uh it's one that you're familiar with, but you may not be as familiar with how prevalent it this particular name of Jesus actually is. And so I hope this has as much impact on your life as you walk through this as it has on my life being reminded uh, of it. And that is what we see here in Revelation chapter one, uh, verse seven, is that Jesus is the coming one. The coming one. And we're going to see that as a particular name of Jesus, as a particular title for Jesus. He is the coming one. So in Revelation chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 7, and I'll just read verse 7 and verse uh, 8. Well, actually, I'm going I'm to pick up in verse 4, and it'll make sense why I pick up in verse 4 as we get to the end of the message. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Last week in our study, we noticed the word behold, and the word behold is going to be used 26 times in the book of Revelation. And each and every one of those times that your translation may say look, or but the idea is behold, stop, look, pay attention. Behold, 26 times, and each of those uh, are is very important. This is God saying, stop and look and behold some truth or some aspect that's very important. Last week in our study, we saw the, the first phrase, behold, he is coming with the cloud. And what we learned is that this is a reference to prophecies in the Old Testament relating to the Messiah. So last week we looked in Daniel chapter 2 and we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this statue and there were four parts to this statue and each of those four parts would be uh, representative of the Gentile kingdoms, worldwide kingdoms on the earth. And what we saw last week in Daniel chapter 2 is that there's this smiting stone, this stone that comes and destroys all all the Gentile kingdoms of the earth and sets up the, the kingdom of God. And if you've been with us in past studies, particularly last summer in the, in our Sunday evening sessions, uh, then you are familiar with the stone ministry of Jesus, that he is a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 49, where it talks about the Messiah being the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So Jesus in his stone ministry as the stone will destroy the Gentile kingdoms of the earth and set up the kingdom of God. Now, there will be other kingdoms and others that will reign and rule with him. And yet, at the same time, he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every kingdom will reign under his authority uh, that, that reigns. We also saw that this particular verse here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, is a part of Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. There in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, we learned of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and, and he didn't want to tell anyone the dream, but he wanted to know the interpretation of the dream. And so he brought together all of his people who should be able to tell him and they said, oh, we can definitely do it. Tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And he said, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream so I know that you know what you're talking about. And you give me the interpretation. And if you can't tell me the dream and its interpretation, I'm going to kill you. How's that for a hard day at work? Well, nevertheless, nevertheless, God gave Daniel both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, part of the messianic prophecies that Daniel gave relating to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is coming with the clouds. 
He is coming with the clouds. And we saw last week that Jesus used Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 as his last final words on earth to uh, when he was arrested before that he was uh, arrested and crucified. His final words to those who had arrested him and those who would ultimately crucify him he is when they tried to say they, they're telling us that you are that you think you're God. Is that true? And Jesus used Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says behold he's coming with the clouds and they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was saying he was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 because that was all they needed to hear to accuse him of blasphemy and ultimately place him on the cross. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 26 around around verse 64. As we look in Revelation chapter one, we, so we see that what God does here is he is, he, and he's God, he can do this, and it's his word. So he's pulling, rather than taking a complete passage in the Old Testament and pulling it into the New, he is pulling up part of a verse here, part of a verse here, part of a verse here, and he's tying all these prophecies together by bringing them together. Now I want to be clear and say that this is not a good approach to Bible study for you and I. We shouldn't pull half a verse over here and then find a verse over here and say and put it together and make it say what we want to say. But it's God and it's God's word and God knows the intentions of his word. And so whereas you and I don't have the liberty to sew God's word together to say anything that we want to say and make it and say it, God certainly does because it's his word. And what you're going to find all through the book of Revelation is that there are direct quotes, there are illusions, there are illustrations, there are references to parts of the Old Testament all throughout. Four out of five verses relate to some aspect of the Old Testament, and yet not one time is an entire passage picked up from the Old Testament and brought in. It's as if God is saying, what I'm doing right here is tying this prophecy, that prophecy, and that prophecy together right here the way it is. So, for example, in in uh, Revelation chapter 1, he is coming with the clouds. That is Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. That is a passage out of Zechariah chapter 10. And just what, just to kind of give you an idea, we won't take time to look at it. We've looked at this verse in the past. What God does is he takes a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that's only related to the Jews and only related to the Jewish people. And he broadens it to include everybody when we get to Revelation. So notice what it says. It says, and everyone, not every Jew, everyone will see him. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and and not just the Jews, but all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So he pulls together those verses of Scripture, broadens the prophecy just to the Jews in the Old Testament to include everyone. It's all the nations and all the tribes that will see him, that will look upon him. Some, and they will mourn over him. Many will mourn over what they did to him. Many will mourn because they are forever separated from him. But they will grieve and they will mourn over their sin, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over them. 
Here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, it's talking uh, really in two places. Verse 4, it says, speaking of God the Father, who is and who was and who and who was and who is to come. So the idea of who is to come. And then in chapter uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he is coming with the clouds. And then in chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty, I want to focus on Jesus being the coming one as it's found right here in this, in this book. And in order to kind of understand it and to tie things together, we've got to go to a couple of different places. So go with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Again, for some of you, this will be review, and your Bibles may even be marked in some of these places because we've looked at these verses before. You will remember that uh, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 is called the Hallel. Oftentimes it's called the Egyptian Hallel. It's part of what's used in the Passover uh, feast, in the Passover meal. So as the uh, Jewish families gather and celebrate the Passover, they would quote Psalm 113 all the way through 118. They did it in the Old Testament, starting with their uh, deliverance from Egypt. So oftentimes this section is called the Egyptian Hillel because it's, it's, it was given to them when they were delivered from Egypt and it was part of the Passover all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus would have celebrated the Passover and used Psalm 113 to 113. 118 in the Passover, even when they went into the temple and they did their sacrifices, the choirs would be singing portions of Psalm 113 to 118. And even when Jesus celebrated instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, they would have walked through Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 as well. Psalm 118, uh, well, there's some dispute whether Psalm 118 or Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It depends if you're talking about direct references or allusions or references or quotes, but both Psalm 110 and Psalm 118 are are used more than any other psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 118, you'll be very familiar with uh, these verses. And What we see is, is we see, um, uh, you know, very familiar verses. Psalm 118, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is, is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. Let me just, let me just point out something as we're on our way to somewhere else. Psalm 118 is the most quoted, between Psalm 110 and 118, is the most quoted psalm in the, in the New Testament. And what you see is, is you see the, remember that Psalms is the hymn book of the Bible. And what you see is, is you see the words of a chorus repeated over and over and over again. 
So I understand pastors' sentiments and people's thought process who say, I don't like those newfangled choruses. They repeat seven words 11 times, what I call seven eleven choruses. And I understand it can be repetition and cannot have meaning, but I want you to know biblically the psalm that's repeated at most in the New Testament, perhaps with Psalm 110, you, you know what I mean, has the chorus repeated over and over and over again. I'll let you wrestle with God about that, about your own convictions, about singing things. But I will tell you this. It is a great way to take God's word and implant its truth into your heart, into your being, so that you do not forget those words. But when we get down to verse uh, verse 22, the Bible says this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, you're very familiar with these verses. We have looked at these. We've looked at the stone ministry. Remember, to people who are lost, Jesus is a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. No matter how they live your life, if they reject Jesus, they will never ever. Ever make it into heaven. You can't make it into heaven without Jesus Christ. And a lot of people think that they're going to heaven, but yet they reject Jesus, and therefore he is a stone of stumbling to them. He's a stone of stumbling. Or a rock of offense. But to those who, of us who are saved, we looked at this in First Peter. He is our cornerstone. We can't imagine entering into heaven without Him. He, we can't imagine doing life without Jesus. We can't imagine the foundation of our life being upon something any other than Jesus Christ. He is both the cornerstone. Some cases He is the capstone or beloved. That's if you are saved. If you are lost, He is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, which is one of the reasons why why you can have engage in many conversations with lost people all day long and as long as you use the name God they will never be offended they will take whatever religion and whatever they have and they will they will take whatever you say the Bible says and translate it into whatever way that they worship and whoever their God is but when you give the name Jesus, as the only way to heaven, that's when it becomes controversial. And that's when you sometimes can get into trouble in your workplaces and things along those lines. That's when you're going to be accused of being intolerant because Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who see the gospel as foolishness and to those who are perishing. But notice what it says. He says here in verse 24, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Now look in verse 26. All that to get to verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Verse 26, very familiar saying. You've heard it before. You've read it in the New Testament. This is a Messianic psalm who is showing and indicating that the Jewish people are expecting a deliverer. And the deliverer they are expecting, they refer to as the coming one. The coming one. So this in Psalm 118 verse 26, it becomes a a description of the Messiah. 
they'll use this term in place of the, the, they don't, because they've rejected Jesus, but they're always saying, we'll see today, are you the coming one? Are you the coming one? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is that you? Who is that? They are looking for the Messiah. They are looking for the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So this becomes a description of the Messiah. But how it's used in the New Testament, it also, by the way that it's written, it becomes a name for Jesus himself. Let me show you. Let me show you that. Let's take a look, if you will, uh, with me in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is entitled in your Bible by probably the worst title that could ever be given to a section in the Bible. Because your Bible probably has this listed as the triumphal entry. And if you've grown up in any sort of church that practices Palm Sunday, and I think I think it's great. I'm not saying that you, that we shouldn't, but they usually came to this particular passage of scripture, referred to as reference in in Zechariah, and they had the palm trees, and here's Jesus riding in lowly on the donkey, and what are the people are saying? Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The reason it's terrible is because this is not the triumphal entry. This is. Not not the king riding in terrain. This is the redeemer riding in to die. He must first die and be resurrected before he redeems and returns to reign and returns to reign. But I want you to look at this and I want you to see this in Matthew chapter one, when they had verse one, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Beth page and at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And brought them the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them into the road. The crowds going ahead of them and those who followed were shouting. What were they shouting? Hosanna to the son of David. Now look at this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, depending on your Bible and what translation it has, it may not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It might say something along the lines, blessed is the expected one. Or it might say something uh, along those lines. Basically, what they've done here. Is when you look, well, look at this for us. Look at this. Um, blessed is the one who comes. I'm not going to get bogged down in Greek and Greek grammar, but our name for our church is Greek. 
right? Doxa is the Greek word for glory. And part of what we do is we don't shy away from those things. So where it's important and where it's helpful, I want to introduce and bring those things in. I don't, I personally do not believe that these things should be saved for a seminary classroom or a seminary setting. I think we're grown adults, and I think that we can learn concepts and ideas and things that are sometimes difficult. This is so important that I want to take time today to give us a little Greek grammar lesson, if we could. And this is actually going to be an English grammar lesson. If you've ever heard of the term participle, a participle is part of a sentence. It's one of the parts of the sentence. And a participle always has to be a part of something else. It's a participle. It's typically attached to a noun or attached to a or uh, attached to a verb or, or an adjective. Examples would be uh, how words can take on different meanings in a, in a sentence. Uh, for example, if I say the sentence "I can can a can of peas," what's the definition of can? Well, it depends on which can you're talking about in the sentence, right? I can means I have the ability and the capacity. Can is a cooking process. Can is a container. So I can can a can of peas. Can can take on same word spelled the same way can take on different meanings in a different sentence. Sometimes we'll use a word, it's called a participle. In English, we refer to the present participle and the past participle, and we use the the ing form of verbs when we're talking about participles. So the present participle would be the ing, and we always use it with a uh, with an auxiliary with a helping verb. So, for example, if if you were to say, uh, as you look up here and you look at me, you might say, "Oh, he runs," because I look like a runner. No, not really, not really. Uh, but so he runs. So runs would be would be the verb, right? Or we could say he is running, right? He is running. So whether we say he runs, that means that's the normal part of the routine of life. Simple present verb. He is running, is running. Running is the participle. We could use that not only as a verb, but we could use that as an adjective. So, for example, we would say in English, uh, for example, the one who runs wears tennis shoes. Right? The one who runs. Um, so, so we wouldn't say the running one wears tennis shoes. We would gloss it over to, to, to help it smooth out in English. We wouldn't necessarily say the running one. We would say the one who runs. We wouldn't say, uh, wake up, uh, old sleeping one. We would say the, the one who sleeps, the one who sleeps. So when we put the direct article the in front of a part Participle, that participle becomes a noun. It becomes a noun. So, and it becomes a description of the person doing the activity. So, for example, it would be the running one or would be the one who runs. In Greek, when you see this word right here, blessed is he who comes, what you're looking at is you're looking literally in the original language, blessing is, blessed is the coming one. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Uh, if you take the word hot, H-O-T, and you take the T off, that's ha, first word is ha, which is the direct article, the. Ha is the. Now, a lot of Greek words, they have a, uh, a connection to an English word. Anybody ever been to see a cardiologist? Anybody ever do cardio? All right, so cardio, cardiologist, that's the Greek word cardia. So you can see the connection there. A lot of Greek words have connections to words that we have. Unfortunately, this one doesn't. This one doesn't. So you have ha, and then for coming one, you have, uh, it, it's spelled E-R-C-O-M-E-N-O-S. And the N-O-S means that it's a noun. So it's the coming one. Ha, er, kamenos, the coming one. So where our translation glosses it over here in verse 21, where it says, blessed is he who comes, literally in the Greek, it says, blessed is ha, er, kamenos, the blessed is the coming one, the coming one. And that would be an allusion uh, to Psalm 118, as we saw there, blessed is the coming one. So here are the ordinary people saying, blessed ha kermanos, blessed is he who comes uh, in the name of the Lord. They were uh, trying to ascribe to Jesus and call him the coming one, but the national religious leaders never did so. In fact, they didn't say, blessed is the coming one. What did they say? We will not have this man to be our king. Right? We have no king but Caesar. Jesus rejected being called the coming one here in this passage because... He was not entering in to be the coming one tied to his second coming to reign. He entered in lowly and humble, ready to die. Now, now by the way, aren't you glad he did? Yes, he Because that's how you and I were brought into the kingdom, into the kingdom. So here we have in Matthew chapter 23... Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Let's just go down to... Um, here's Jesus. And this is after the, the, the writing in uh, to, the, uh, to, to the king. Um, go down to verse 37 if you would. What people fail to understand about the supposed triumphal entry is that Jesus did not receive the title there as the coming one because he wasn't coming in to reign, he was coming in to die. And yet he doesn't reject that title altogether because notice what he's, notice what's taking place. What people miss and what we sing when we have all the kids singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna highest and blessed he comes in the name of the Lord and all of those things. What they fail to miss is what Jerusalem is, is what Jesus is doing. 
Jesus is riding through Jerusalem while they are doing all that, and the people are completely oblivious to the fact that Jesus is riding on a colt, weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping. Folks, that's why it's not the triumphal entry. You want the triumphal entry? Go to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Go to Revelation, chapter 19. You will see the triumphal entry. Jesus, that is the triumphal entry. Matthew 21 is not. And here's why. Look here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I want to I just want to while we're here make this this point of application here. Is there anything that God is saying to you through his word, old docs of church, docs of church, order us how I wanted to do so much more through you? How about individuals here? How much more does God want to do through you? Is there anything in your life that God says, but you are unwilling? Let's move on. He says this in verse verse 38. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. There is consequences. Your house is being left, left desolate. Notice what he says in verse 39. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed Ha Erkomenos. Blessed is the coming one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus rejected being called Ha or Kamenos by the common people. But he will be called Ha Kermanos. He will be called that as he comes in his second coming. Let me, let me show you this again. Just to kind of, again, to strengthen our understanding. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, we see this, we see this word again. John the Baptist has been, um, preaching and he got himself in trouble preaching. Because he was preaching about immoral relationships, particularly uh, when it came to Herod. And Herod didn't particularly like it. And as you know, John would ultimately lose his head. But John has been arrested and he's been put in prison. John knows that he is the forerunner of Christ. There's no mistake about it. John is not questioning the identity of Jesus. But there in that cell... There as he is awaiting what surely he must have known to be uh, uh, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. And everything that the Messiah said he's going to do, he's going to come in to reign and to rule and do all those things. John begins to look and see how people are rejecting Jesus and all of those things. Well, he begins to question. Notice what it says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve, he departed from there to teach and preach in other cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Now I'm reading from the New American Standard. In the New American Standard, it says, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? 
In my Bible, the New American Standard, the expected one, that word is ha or kamenos. The nineteen seven the nineteen ninety five update edition has changed it, glossed it over to say, "Are you the expected one?" Whereas the earlier version said, "Are you the coming one?" Here they at least capitalized in my Bible the capital E and capital O to say this is the title. But there is not a Jewish person today that if you went to and said, is Jesus the expected one? They would be like, what are you talking about? But if you say, is the Messiah the coming one? They will understand that terminology exactly. The ESV translation, though it uses coming one, it doesn't refer to, doesn't in any way say this talking about Jesus whatsoever. I can't remember what, what other translations say, but, but basically they all gloss over, but there in the, in the original language, what it says is, verse three, and he said to them, here's what John wanted to know. Jesus, are you ha or kamenos? Are you the coming one? That's all he needed to know. Are you the coming one? John goes all the way back to Psalm 118. John goes to all the all the points in the Passover meals all through the Old Testament. All the times that John himself did the Passover. Blessed is he who comes. Blessed is the coming one. John there in prison. He wants to know. He he wants to know. Are you Hawk or Commodus? Are you the coming one? Are you the coming one? And Jesus answers and Jesus uses Isaiah chapter 35 verse 5. Jesus uses a messianic prophecy to tell John, yes, I am the coming one. This is what Jesus says. He said, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? If you ask Jews today, they are looking for the coming one. They completely missed him the first time. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. Isaiah chapter 35, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That is second coming prophecy. That is a description of the coming one found in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. And then he goes on to say this in verse 6, And blessed is he who does not take offense or is scandalized at me. Again, a reference to a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. So here's John the Baptist, and what is he saying? Are you the coming one? And Jesus, though John didn't fully understand everything, doesn't say, um, doesn't uh, fully understand and comprehend all that he says, but he is convinced that Jesus is the coming one. Go to John chapter 11, if you would. John chapter 11 is a very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, Again, uh, it's the raising of Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 1, you know the story. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha and it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick so the sister sent word to him saying Lord behold look Lord right the way to get the Lord's attention look Lord behold 
He whom you love is sick. They were kind of putting it on him. Hey, Lord, he who, look, behold, pay attention. He whom you love is sick. What do you think they expected Jesus to do? And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to the end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That made no sense. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Come, make him better. And instead, Jesus stays put for two more days. And then after this, said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Lazarus has died. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, verse 18 says, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And always good, and a good when you experience loss, when you experience death, to have people to kind of come and gather around and console and share memories and sometimes not to even say anything, but just to be there with you. That's what they were, that's what they were doing. Verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What faith? What faith? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, so she didn't have all that faith. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Specifically. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now look at this. Even ha er kamenos, even he 
who comes into the world. You know what she says? Though she separates the half from the earth coming off, you can do that in Greek. I believe that you are the in the world coming one. Literally what it says in the Greek. I believe that you are the coming one and you are in the world. You know what she's saying? She's saying, Jesus, I believe a lot of things about you. But what I have believed and what I am convinced of, it is settled. I have believed. It's settled. It's done that you are ha or us. You are the coming one. The coming one. You know what gives you hope for your lost loved ones to be raised from the dead? You know what gives you hope when you're in the midst of dying? And may I simply remind you that from the day that you were born, death was chasing you. I don't know if you know this or not, but the death quotient is 100%. Everyone who is born dies. Everyone. You'll either die and your body's placed in the ground. You go into the presence of the Lord to be with him forever. Or you'll die, your body goes in the ground, and you'll be separated from him, ultimately in a place called hell forever. But every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and they will say, you are who you said you are. And they will be without excuse. And you will not have to give an excuse. Martha says, I have believed that you are the coming one. So that's his question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that with all of your heart? You know, oftentimes a tragic situation such as the death of a loved one, a tragic situation such as a trial or tribulation that is beyond your ability to deal with on your own, a set of situations and circumstances, listen, oftentimes will challenge our faith. Right? How many people that you know? Hey, Jesus said it. The gospel's like, is like seed planted in the soul and it shoots up. And then what? The cares of this world, the trials and tribulations choke it out. They don't believe. Anybody can believe on the mountaintop. Anybody can believe when everything is going their way. But when you're laying your loved one in the ground, when you're facing the things that you're facing in this world, when your faith has been tested and tried, Martha said, I have believed that you, Jesus, are ha or us. You are the coming one. And therefore, even if I die, I will be raised to be with you forever. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that with all of your heart? She says, Lord, I believe, present this normal pattern, routine life. I believe that you're the resurrection. And she says, I have believed. It's a settled issue that you are the coming one. Is that a settled issue in your life? Then, folks, that will carry you through.
any trial, trouble, tribulation that you and I face in this world. And that will cause us, even though we weep for our loved ones when they die, to have hope because they are alive forevermore because he is the coming one. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more struggle with sin, no more struggle with what's happening and what's going on in the world and all of those things. They are in the presence of God because they know and believe that he is the one prophesied in Psalm 118 and he will come again. He is our Kamenos, the coming one. So back to Revelation chapter 1 to tie it together. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia grace to you and peace now remember when we walked through this before we said that through other places in the Bible I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit so the pattern seems to be God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and what we said a few weeks ago when we were studying Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 that he extends grace and peace from God the Father and then the Spirit then turns attention to the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of the book of the Revelation. Because Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet I want to show you something here, and I, and I think this will... I, I, well, let's just look at it. You, you'll scratch your head, but you'll be amazed at the same time, perhaps. John chapter 1, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is literally in the Greek ha er kamenos the coming one oh wait a minute Chad you said that this is referring to God the Father and now you're saying that ha or kamenos it's the exact same phrase it's the exact same noun used there ha or kamenos you're saying that refers to God the Father as well brother when you get into the Trinity you don't understand it and neither do I and the more we study the Trinity the more we are blown away by the things that we see is Jesus the coming one is the Father the coming one yes Somehow the Father comes with Christ. Somehow the Father comes through Christ. I don't understand how it is. We worship one God. There's one God. There's three persons. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, God the Father is ha er us. And also, a little bit further in the text. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who present tense loves us and past tense released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be the doxa, glory, and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Blessed behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. 
and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Let me pause right there because we're not going to get to cover this. We've got to move on to other things. What does Jesus mean when he says I'm the Alpha and the, and the Omega? It means that he is the beginning and the end. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and it's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Let me give you some homework. Every time the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, when it comes to the Alpha, it's always spelled out in Greek. And when it's the Omega, it's always the Greek symbol for Omega. In other words, they spell out the name of the word Alpha, A-L-P-H-A, in Greek for Alpha, and the Omega is just the letter Omega. I'll let you wrestle with that one a little while. Says the Lord God. Now look at this. Who is and who was and who? Ha er kamenos. The coming one. The almighty. So which is it? Is God the Father? Ha er kamenos, the coming one? Or is God the Son? The answer is... Yes, yes. But one thing that you can know for sure, He is the coming one. And all of us together can say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And He includes with the Almighty. He's not a Almighty. He's not one of many. Beloved, He is the Almighty. If there are any Almighties, He is the Almighty. He is the greatest. He is the most. He is however you want to define Almighty. He is beyond anything Almighty you could ever say. And let me just simply say this in closing. When you understand that He is the God Almighty, and you study these names and you see these things, one thing that will vanish from your lips is taking the Lord's name in vain or taking the name and reducing it to a curse word or reducing it to an earthly usage that does not honor and lift him up. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to take the things like God Almighty and things like that and use them in reverence and awe of the name of God because he is the coming one the almighty as we conclude this time in the prologue I just close with where I began. He said this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. I don't know about you, but just to go through this prologue, have you been blessed? I have been blessed to just walk through and turn these things over and do all this. Folks, God has so much more as we press ahead in his word. As we press ahead, I can't wait to see what all he does. I can't wait to see the work that he does among us and on us as we study this book together. 
I am already blessed as God has said. And my prayer is that you are blessed as well. Comes down to this simple truth though. For you personally, individually, do you believe in your heart of hearts that He is the coming one? If so, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. He's your cornerstone. He's your capstone. But if you're here today and that's not good news for you, you're listening to this message and it's not good news. The blood of Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And you will stumble over him and ultimately fall into hell, eternally separated from God. And there, you will be without excuse. Because you have heard the truth, you've had the truth explained, you're given opportunities to ask and answer questions, to seek God and do those things. Beloved, if you go to hell, it will be your own doing because you, under the sound of this voice, listening to this message and the other messages that I've preached thus far, and more than we will, clearly tells you who Jesus Christ is. But it is my desire that you see, among other things, like Savior, Redeemer, and all of those things, that you will be reminded that He loves you. And if you're not saved, He desires to release you from your sins and to bring you into personal relationship with God. How do you do that? Repent of your sin and believe on the gospel and receive by faith the salvation that he has for you. Because salvation is not by osmosis. It's not by happenstance. It's not by circumstance. It is the work of God in your life. You see yourself in the presence of a holy God. You see his holiness. You recognize your unholiness. And you fall on your face understanding that there's absolutely nothing you can do about your sin. Nothing I can do about mine except repent. Repent means to say you're sorry and to turn. You haven't repented if you keep doing it. And to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can say, Has Martha, I have believed. And confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And the pattern of your life will demonstrate that you've lived out those truths and that God has done the work of salvation in your life. That's how you come to faith in Christ. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, you have promised that your word going forth will never return void. We are so thankful to study your word and thankful for the privilege of it. God, I pray that as we look forward with anticipation and expectation of the second coming of Christ, that, Father, we will indeed know and believe and be convinced and persuaded in our hearts that Jesus is the Ha'arkamonos. He is the coming one. And, Father, may that truth do a couple of things. May it encourage us and strengthen us as we know that we are struggling for a season, but Christ is coming. 
And Father, may it also inspire us to live a life of holiness, knowing that nothing we do is outside of your sight, outside of your vision, but that, Father, you see and know all things, and you are the hot or common us, the coming one. And may we live our lives in holiness to the best of our ability, forsaking sin, following the true way until you come and call us to our own. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message.